The Athletic. Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the most authoritative Arsenal podcast on the planet? Would you like to be front and centre on Handbrake Off alongside James and Amy and Art and Adrian and Ian? Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of highly engaged Gunners fans every week? Of course you would. Your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, We're here just about 12 hours after our emphatic win over Everton at the Emirates last night. And I've just about got my voice back from alternating between Ole's and abusing Neil Mopay, both of which I enjoyed uh, immensely, I must say. Uh, We'll talk about the game and also because, because things are going pretty well and the present seems in good hands. We'll look at the future and who's coming through the ranks and can be the next Bukayo Saka. Uh, I'm here with James McNicholas and Art de Roche. Morning. Morning, Ian. Good morning. Morning. Uh, and, a, and a nice morning it is too. Um, we saw Bukayo Saka doing a Thierry Henry's goal celebration last night, standing by the corner frag. Uh, we got to enjoy quite a few goal celebrations uh, yesterday and... Uh, Generally, through the seasons, what would your be celebration? Oh, would you have a particular celebration if you had one? Any, any you'd like to imitate? Um, so I'm just going to go through my pro clubs catalogue. People <laughs> who play FIFA will know what that yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, this year, my celebration is the um, the phone one. So Jesus and Enketi is one. Although um, I've started to hit the gritty. A bit more. Uh, What's recently. that? Hit the what? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You're going to have to explain that one to it's anyone a, over 30, I think. Yeah, it's a it, dance, is it? It's a dance, yeah. So I've started <laughs> to use that a bit more. But I'd, I'd be interested to see or hear where Erdegaard's dance came from last night. Because that, honestly, it took me by by surprise. And I was just like, what has just happened? Um, it kind of surprised, it surprised me more than the goal did itself. Do you think it's some sort of Norwegian folk tune, perhaps, <laughs> thing that we, we just wouldn't see on our TV screens? I don't know. Potentially, potentially. But um, those are my, I guess, selection of celebrations for the now. The phone one, by the way, what is that about? What is that? I don't understand how that works. What what does that mean, well, aside from I, you're making a phone call? I think so. Jesus's one is dedicated to his mum. Is it? Um, he phones I his mum feel... when he scores. <laughs> and then Enketia's one, I think it's just, if you need someone, if you need a goal, call Enketia. That's his one. Like, that's the oh, meaning I behind see. his one. I see. I like that. James, what about you? What you got? Well, I missed the podcast last week because I had uh, tooth-related pain. So I'd have to go for the dentist chair celebration. 
I think it's the only one for me. But not the Paul Gascoigne, you know, uh, reference to being in a bar and having shots poured down your throat. An actual dentist chair. I'd, <laughs> I'd lie back. Someone come over. Prepare. Uh, pre- what was I saying? Pre- pretend to remove a few teeth. Yeah, that'll do. Do you know? Can- well, can I just say I've been in the dentist chair in that bar in uh, in Hong Kong. Really? Yes, I went there. We went. We did a gig there about six months after the England team had been there. And uh, let me tell you, in terms of getting you drunk as quickly as possible, it works because <laughs> you lie back in the dentist chair and they pour the alcohol down your throat, and you get in sober and you come out two seconds later paralytic to be honest with you how did they get that dentistry license that's the real question <laughs> <laughs> yeah it cost me 400 pounds going in that for 10 minutes but i did get to wear some really nice sunglasses so that was all right keep the light in my eye um i can i just say in terms of celebration i grew up in a time when people used to shake hands you know that's we had that last vestiges of that well done sir congratulations that's another goal for you but by the time i came along uh yeah, people were being a bit more effusive in their celebrations. I, I have to say, by the way, I've never been a regular scorer in five a side. Usually when I do, I'm quite understated. I'm just a sort of little punch in the air, you know? <laughs> Get in, you know? But I've got to be honest, if I was playing in a big match uh, for the Arsenal and I scored... I'd rather feel I might lose myself and dive into the crowd and get booked. I think <laughs> I'd possibly take the shirt off and uh, and do all that because it would be such a thrill, would it not? And I can't believe that people don't celebrate. I mean, I saw who was it? Elise, I think it was playing for Palace the other week when he scored a free kick against Man United, the one that we all celebrated because it took two points off him, and he just stood there like, yeah, yeah, I do this all the time. I thought I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't be like this. I don't do this all the time. I can't believe I've done it once, to be honest with you. Osaka. Magnificent finish. It's taken them 40 minutes. Arsenal make the breakthrough. Arsenal 4, Everton 0 last night. Five points clear. Um, Four scored. Three different goal scorers, two hours of football, and one positive VAR involvement. I've always liked VAR, haven't you, Let's Love VAR. I mean, really. Yeah, no complaints. Put, no complaints <laughs> about VAR. I mean, God, we're going to talk about uh, Bukayo Saka again. I mean, I want to talk about him and Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, Saka's got 10 goals, nine assists. Martinelli's 11, three assists as well. Both only 21. One came through the academy, cost us absolutely nothing. Nothing. The other one cost six million quid from a lower league team uh, in Brazil. Is it partly, Art, is it partly because they're so young that we're so thrilled by what's going on? I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter when they're scoring goals for your team, but there's something about the young players and the way that, the way that they're playing with such freedom. It's joyous, isn't it? It's weird because it's easy to forget how young they actually are. 21. I remember... If if we rewind about two years, there was a time where so Gabriel Martinelli was just coming back from a pretty serious injury, and everyone wanted wanted him to play or return really quickly. And Arteta was very, I guess, stringent with his minutes. He he was very reluctant was. to just throw him in. There were there was a game at Leicester I remember where Arsenal were three one up. And instead of bringing Martinelli on in the last kind of 10 minutes, he brought on Aubameyang. And it just seemed like a weird moment where you could have an opportunity to bed someone back in. But I feel like the way, I guess, 
his minutes has crossed over with Smith Rowe's in the past kind of year, 18 months, has quite has dovetailed quite well, obviously not in the way every Arsenal fan would like. But there is that thing of, okay, that happened to him when he was 19, 20 years old. Now he's still only 21 and he's hitting double figures for goals again, like he did in his first season. And I, I think the thrill just comes from, I guess, seeing them grow up, really, because they're not kids anymore. <laughs> but they're, um, they're actually scoring really decisive goals for Arsenal as well. So it's quite, um, I feel like, a unique thing to have to watch someone grow over, I guess, this period of time. It's already been three, four years since both Saka and Martinelli were kind of ingratiated to the first team. And it's just, yeah, insane to think how fast that time has gone, really. Um, It's true. It's true. James, I mean, Bukayo Saka's played, I think, over 150 games now for Arsenal. I mean, as Art said, not only is he not a kid, He's not inexperienced anymore either, is he? No, and he doesn't look it. I mean, in a moment of need when Arsenal were looking to make the breakthrough against Everton, he stepped up. And how many times have you said that this season? I always marvel at the fact that Bukai Saka is younger than Flo Balogun. And, you know, Balogun is sort of he's tearing up on loan and we're thinking, can he come over to England and make a breakthrough at Premier League level? And you look at Saka's age, albeit in a different position, He's been doing it for years. Uh, I think that's staggering. And and the national team as well, by the way. Yeah. The, I, mean, I'm, I met Gareth Southgate uh, and we were talking about the game against Germany in the Euros in 2021. And he was the guy, Saka, who got the ball and took on the German player and beat him and lifted the whole crowd. And Southgate agreed with me about that. He's been doing this for three years now. On the biggest stages, Premier yeah. League, European Championships, we just saw him have a, a terrific World Cup individually. Uh, and he's come back and maintained that standard domestically. What a goal it was last night. I mean, three immaculate touches, brilliant finish off his right foot. And I think the finish and the celebration both had that air of confidence and maturity about them. And if you go back and you watch Saka when he's coming through the academy at 16, 17, 18... There is this kind of devastation in his finishing. There's a lot of big, powerful finishes, real signs of a player with maximum confidence who knows this is absolutely his moment. And I think we're beginning to see that uh, at Premier League quite consistently now. Yeah, And it's uh, it's really, really exciting. I, I thought you know, his contribution on the day was brilliant. Martinelli as well. And of course, the key factor here, one of those Martinelli's already signed a long-term contract uh, and Bukayo Saka... Very, very close to doing the same. Everything practically agreed. And that's massive for Arsenal. Something I notice is that every time I go to a game, you watch the Arsenal press conference post-match and you watch the opposition press conference. And almost every opposition manager will say, of course, it's difficult. They've got Saka and Martinelli on the wings. They speak about them as such a threat in the same terms as they do anybody else in the Premier League. You know, in a similar way to managers talked for years about Mane and Salah at Liverpool and you know I don't think they're quite hitting those heights yet in terms of numbers but they are getting close and it's incredibly exciting for Arsenal fans it is that finish from Bukayo Saka I mean I think there was a moment of shock when it hit the back of the net art because I don't think people quite realised because he only had 
a square of of goal to i mean you know this is the england goalkeeper in in goal there and he just blasted it past him and normally you'd say our goalkeeper should never be beaten there but he had absolutely no chance with that. And this is, by the way, off his right foot as well. We've seen him do some pretty bad right foot finishes. <laughs> I remember one or two in Europe, I think, when he knocked it into... I think he knocked it yeah. onto someone's balcony. At one yeah, that was that but a glimpse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, this one was in the top corner and it was a fantastic goal, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, as James said, you saw those types of finishes a lot in his youth days. I think this season... Again, leads away, you saw, again, right foot into the near oh, top yeah, corner. Oh, yeah, lovely. And the, accur- the accuracy is one thing, the power is another. And for me, obviously, where the press box is situated at the Emirates, um, it's kind of behind it. So You're Right behind it, isn't it? I, you, can, you can appreciate it aesthetically, but you don't actually appreciate how much power has gone through that shot until you watch it back on the replay. And the same thing happened with his goal at Villa. Um, I was right behind that and I just thought, oh, that was a really clean strike. But then I was watching it back on Match of the Day with my mum and she was she was like, oh my God, like <laughs> he absolutely he, that. he absolutely smacked that. And yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that power is something that, yeah, just gives him another spark, um, really. Obviously, Martinelli, probably you'd expect to score more from inside the box. But now I think... Saka's getting to a place where we know we know he can go inside and out. Now we're kind of seeing he can finish really quickly in into really good spaces, but also he's probably got the power to replicate the Man United goal at some point this season as well. It's just about whether luck's on his side that day or not. Quite. I mean, you mentioned Flo Balligan. Opta Joe did a nice stat last night. Three of the four highest scoring players in Europe's top five leagues this season age 21 or younger, are contracted to Arsenal. Flo Balligan's got 15 in Ligue 1. Martinelli, uh, Gabriel Martinelli's got 11 and Bukayo Saka's got 10. The other one, by the way, is Jamal Musiala, who's playing for Bayern Munich and is also quite useful as well. So we have got some serious young talent at Arsenal. James, I want to just ask about the goal as well and about... Oh, oh, sorry, before we move on from Bukayo Saka, who came up, whoever came up with, there's a star boy running down the right, his name's Bukayo Saka and he's fucking dynamite. Uh, it, thank you for that. Uh, I think, I think it's, I think Emil Smith-Rowe and, and Bukayo Saka should have their own songs at this point. We we love them both, but I think, you know, it, it was great to see Emil come back on that, on the pitch last night for a couple of minutes and he'll get better and better and I know it'll be great for us in the running. Um, but they deserve a song each, the two of them. They're that good. Now, James, I want to ask you about the goal and about Alexander uh, Alexander Sinchenko. The, what happened there? Uh, I know you've written about this, but uh, I'll ask James first. So he basically, you could see that, that Everton was sort of doing the same thing against us that they did at Goodison Park. So every time Saka or Martinelli got the ball, whoever was the attacking player on that side would come back to help. I think it was uh, uh, Alex Iwobi on um, on Bukayo's side. And so Alexander Sinchenko, our left back, basically decided <laughs> to wander into right midfield and add an extra body there. And he, he was the one who made that goal. He was. And I thought it was such a critical moment in the game because the first half an hour, Everton had frustrated Arsenal a little bit. Yeah. And I think... You could see Arsenal trying to force it, maybe. I thought particularly uh, Jorginho and, and the centre-halves were looking 
to hit those diagonals early. And, and I understand why, because in the previous game against Everton at Goodison Park, you know, we weren't moving the ball quickly enough to those wide areas and, and hitting the space. This time, I think we were almost guilty of trying a little bit too hard and the accuracy wasn't quite there. And it just felt like Zinchenko took matters by the scruff of the neck. And yeah, he wanders into the midfield. But I also think it's interesting. We saw a lot of variety in the in the positions players adopted on the pitch outside of Zinchenko yesterday. I mean, Trossard and Martinelli at Leicester played with Trossard through the middle, Martinelli on the left. And there were phases of play where they swapped. But by and large, they held those positions. In this game, there were periods where they genuinely exchanged positions for, you know, five, ten minutes. And I think this was actually one of those where Martinelli was playing more centrally and Trossard uh, over on the left. And I just think that it's so interesting. Two, three weeks ago, we were talking about Arsenal and saying, well, we all know the system. We all know how they're going to play. We know the starting eleven. And what those January signings have done, without wishing to labour the point too much, is that they have just injected that bit of variety, and Trossard in particular. I think that was key, the movement across the front line. Zinchenko finds the space, he picks the lock, and yeah, then it's all about that sack of finish. Oh, I, I looked at the piece you wrote about that goal last night, and you sort of showed the positions of the players. It's quite a high-risk thing for... Uh, Alexander Sinchenko to be coming over to the right because there were a couple of times early in the game when um, when uh, Everton broke down uh, their right, our left. There's a big gap that he leaves when he wanders off into midfield. But he adds so much. But it's a sort of high-risk, high-reward type idea, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think that was the first real time Arsenal had proper possession in the Everton half and it went like before it was going on before Zinchenko actually got the ball and I just think it was a one of those moments where you could feel okay someone's gonna make a decision <laughs> and actually do something and yeah on the point on Martinelli it's really I guess interesting that yes he started kind of centrally but then he ended up being the widest player on the right and by the time Zinchenko picks his head up, he's got three passing options. And I think that's the the real, I guess, exciting thing about what's been happening in the past couple games with, I guess, what Trossard's added to that front line is, yes, there's rotation, but also it's happening across the width of the pitch and it's just creating so many angles. I also included like a, a sequence from the Leicester game where they kind of interchange Trossard and Martinelli and Trossard ends up just in this gap somewhere and Granit Xhaka is five yards away from him. So that, again, Zinchenko has multiple options. And I think when, when you start to get that, which he probably did have in the first half of the season, when you get that again, you can just add more gears, I think, to your attack and especially considering... Um, what happened in the second half, I, I was really encouraged by the timings of Arteta's substitutions because I know he hardly ever makes half-time subs, but also being able to make double changes to bring on Smith-Rowe and Vieira and also the fact that he teased that they may be used differently to how we've seen them before as well. I think it's a really, I guess, interesting way to mix things up in the last couple of months of the season. I mean, James, do we do? I remember when we played Everton away and we got beaten, and there was a general feeling 
as you said, oh, people know Arsenal are going to play, and so they set up to stop that. Do we not give Mikel Arteta and the coaching staff enough credit for maybe, you know, we don't think when we're saying that, well, maybe Arsenal will then change the way they play as well. And, and obviously the January signings help. But we've adapted as well after that Everton game. We have. We have. And they've done some really good work there. I mean, Arteta has spoken a lot about the details that make the difference between winning games and not. And I think you can see that they've worked on those. I actually think something that might be a bit undersold off the back of the Everton game is the importance of a clean sheet at home. That's a detail he would have paid very close attention to. And now that's two consecutive clean sheets for a team that had started to concede goals pretty regularly. Um, And as good as our away record is defensively, our home record is not quite as watertight. So, And you could see, in fact, in stoppage time, quite how desperate they were to keep that clean sheet, a couple of great saves late on. But I think that's really important too. Season is long and it's very rare that the plan A that you start with on August 16th is still going to work come mid-May, end of May. As it wears on and the months go by, those little adjustments, those little tweaks have to be made. Sometimes they're informed by personnel. You might add somebody in January, as Arsenal have done. But the team is evolving. And I think that's really important because... I think we've seen, actually, there there were times in Arteta's first couple of years where it felt like he'd find a winning formula and it would work for about six weeks. And then you'd suddenly see opposition analysts start to pick up on little things we were doing and teams would shut down. You constantly have to innovate as a coach. You cannot tread water. You cannot stand still. So credit to Arteta and his staff because they've they've turned things around in, in really impressive fashion here. Very impressive. By the way, a Rambo second in the uh, clean sheets table, 11. So we're not doing too badly, but I agree. And it's nice to see the last two. Let's, get, let's make it uh, three uh, on Saturday. Can we just take a moment to appreciate um, uh, Martin Odegaard's sliding tackle and sort of a dummy, whatever that was, <laughs> on Alex Iwobi? It was, um, I mean, I mean, we haven't. Do you know what? I almost feel like we should just have a moment when we just have some sort of angels, some sort of sound of angels playing. Because I I do believe that that actually started a sequence that we scored from one minute and 19 seconds later. Uh, I believe we might have kept the ball for the rest of the time because that second half was pretty amazing. One other thing, Leandro Trossard. I mean, we James, we talked about on this pod last week, so I'll ask, uh, I'll ask you about this. But he got, he was in, he was involved in the build-up to the winner against Man U, scored what should have been the winner against Brentford, got the assist for the winner against Leicester, and got another assist against uh, Everton last night. I mean, it's not too bad for a Plan B, is it? <laughs> I, I absolutely love him. I, when the signing was made, I was quite excited anyway, just because he was kind of the type of player I like in terms of a lot of technical ability, quite short, kind of, he reminded me of Arshavin quite a bit. And I think since seeing him play in the flesh, that has just risen, I think. And it's not just because of, I guess, the output of goals and assists, but it is just what he brings to a game is exciting in a way that it's not the, the, raw pace of Martinelli or the just inevitability of Bukayo Saka but I, I he's just a lovely footballer to watch and he reminds me again 
of early Emirates era Arsenal. And I know I've said that a million times this season, but I think he's probably one of the players that embodies that time period most in this team. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully his his good form continues because I I think he's top quality. I think that's right. You know, you could see him, you could imagine him interchanging with, you know, Kleb or Nasri or Zitsky. He fits that. He's, He's an Arsene Wenger type of attacker really you know supremely technical great movement off the ball I think what he couples that and I think one of the reasons that Arteta really likes him is he works really hard as well like yeah. his his pressing is very good he's a good combination player which I think is the, probably the defining characteristic of those early Emirates teams so I think he's been a, a terrific signing and a perfect addition really when you think about what you need in January in terms of someone who can hit the ground running the contributions he's making he's been fantastic what I what I also like about him is he makes quick decisions um like for the Erdegaard goal yesterday yeah Yeah. you you can tell he knew exactly what he was going to do before the ball even reached his feet and I think that's been a common theme with him whenever he's played he's always got an idea of what's going to happen before he actually receives the ball. And it makes such a big difference because you see when when someone has to think, basically there is no time to think. No time, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a, a real kind of difference maker with him as well. And yeah, I, I, I can't speak about him highly enough. <laughs> no, it's great. It's, it's great to watch him. And that third goal... Because he received the ball in the space, didn't he? And you were, and you thought, yeah, no, no, you've got the run on him now. Just keep going, and that's exactly what he did. And it was a perfect pullback, wasn't it? And uh, a lovely finish as well. Just before we go at the break, twenty-five games, sixty points. Uh, last year we played twenty-five games. We're on forty-eight points. Just by the way, so we are, we see the incredible improvement in the team. Um, if we win the next three games, we'll have the same number of points after twenty-eight games as Manchester City did last year. We are maintaining an incredibly high standard. We're not going to talk about whether we can maintain it uh, for the rest of the season, but but James, has your faith been restored in the last three games? Because I know you were pretty low after that um, uh, when we lost to Manchester City and uh, and after that tough run of games. But what we've done in the last three, to come back and win 4-2 at Villa and then to win at Leicester pretty comfortably, really, and then the game last night, and we've got three winnable games to come as well. Where are you on the hope meter as we've been saying <laughs> once or twice this year? You feeling good about the whole thing? It's fun, I'm defi- isn't it? Yeah, I'm definitely feeling better. And, you know, we're, we're always told we should just enjoy being in the title race, but... A lot of these games aren't that enjoyable because there's so much stress around them. But last night it was lovely to have one that was a bit more relaxing, a bit more composed. I think the team need that too. I don't think you can live week to week, moment to moment with (laughs) drama all the time. I'm sure if it affects us, it affects them too. And I think what impressed me most actually last night I, I thought we were a bit lucky to be 2-0 up at half time I thought yeah. that was a little bit hard on Everton but I loved how composed and controlled and mature the second half performance was we just took the game away from them and just said you know I remember Mikel Arteta speaking in a press conference once about you know you need to make 3,000 passes to kill the game well Arsenal went pretty close last night they were just knocking it about took the life out of Everton and that the emotional and physical energy that you can serve 
by playing like that is going to be very valuable in the running. So I'm feeling a lot better. Good, good. Um, Tobias Webb wrote to, he messaged me on Twitter. Uh, he asked me, is there any room on Handbrake Off podcast to discuss Mikel Arteta's most amusingly deadpan cliche responses to all media questions? Uh, Art, you go to a lot of these press conferences. I mean, is it just the questions aren't uh, aren't that interesting or does he not want to give a lot away? I mean, I mean, it's, there's no way that he can describe his processes in a 25-second answer in a press conference, can he? I mean, it's just not possible. So they have to be sort of simplistic, don't they? Yeah, uh, I'd say it's a mix, really. Sometimes he can be decent with his answers uh, <laughs> when he's in the mood. Um, but yeah, a lot of the times he tries to play things close to his chest. Um, and to be fair, I, I get it. Um, it can be a bit annoying sometimes. I remember right at the start of the season before Arsenal played at Manchester United, there was that whole kind of, I guess commotion around fitness with Erdegaard and Ramsdale and I think there was another player and uh, he was asked about it and he basically just said you'll find out tomorrow <laughs> so there was no team news update so sometimes it can be a bit annoying I guess from a media perspective but I get it and to be fair to him he can uh, be a bit more open when he wants to be. James how do you find it when you're in there? Sometimes I think the better the question, the worse the answer. Like, uh, <laughs> for example, Art last night asked Mikel a really interesting question about the on-field relationship between Fabio Vieira and Gabriel Martinelli, which is something you know a lot of staff at the club are quite excited about. They get, on, they get on well, don't they? They get on well off the, the pitch, the game. but crucially, there's a chemistry on the pitch as well. And uh, Mikel kind of confirmed that. He sort of said, yes, you'll see it. And you want to go... T- tell us um, more. <laughs> but he's play- but he's playing his cards close to his chest, and as a fan, I accept it, and it's it's probably the right thing. As a reporter, sometimes you're like, <laughs> I got things to tell write. us. What do you know? But um, yeah. listen, it's working for him, and it's working for the club. So no complaints. He gives um, better TV answers than uh, written answers. I'll put it that way. <laughs> right. Well, it is a TV age, so uh, I guess that's fair enough, really. Uh, thanks for the question, Tobias. And, and uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it, these guys are at the sharp end, so uh, uh, that's what's going on. But it seems to be working in terms of uh, how things are going at the moment. Yeah, keep um, stum, Mikel, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just <laughs> just don't tell as, my boss I said that. Give us <laughs> as much as you've been giving us. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Art de Roche, and James McNicholas here on Handbrake Off, the Athletics Arsenal podcast. As I said at the start, we know the present is in good hands. Um, we didn't really want to talk about squad depth anymore because <laughs> we've talked about that every week for about the last two years. Uh, and right now it seems pretty good. We looked at the bench and it looked good last night and we brought some good players on. And, uh, you know, bringing Thomas Partey on at half time <laughs> is not bad, really. So we know we've got some squad depth, but what, or rather who, is coming through in the future, we talked a lot about Bukayo Saka and what he's done. Let's remember he cost us nothing. He came from the academy. Uh, so, what's who's next? Ah, you watched the youth team uh, quite a bit. You were at the game, weren't you, at the Cambridge quarterfinal yeah. uh, the other day. And um, you spoke to Jack Wilshire. I know you wrote the piece about uh, Jack. I mean, it's encouraging signs, isn't it, really? I know we already brought on Ethan uh, Wanieri against Brentford earlier in the season. Anyone else coming through that we should keep an eye on? Yeah, I wouldn't want to like do a hype thing too much, but um, there is obviously a really good quality crop, I guess you'd call it, in, in yeah. that under-18s, under-21 bracket. Obviously spoken about, I think we've spoken about Lino Sosa in here before, yes. um, the left-back. He actually, during the game, Arsenal actually went 2-1 down and he won the penalty for the equaliser and then uh, got the assist for the winner with a lovely cross to the back post. It's a um, quarter-final, wasn't it? Youth Cup quarter-final. Quarter-final. So they find out, I think tonight, they'll find out whether they play Manchester City or Oxford United in, in the semi-final. One imagines um, that Manchester City have a decent <laughs> crop of youth themselves. Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I guess we'll find Rico out. Lewis. We've seen Rico Lewis playing for them. He's 18. He's playing in yeah. the first team and he looks pretty good. So I guess they've got <laughs> others as well. Yeah, but in terms of like looking at that crop, the one that I guess sticks out to everyone is Miles Lewis-Skelly in yeah. midfield. The interesting thing I find with Arsenal's, I guess, youth is that none of them are normal <laughs> and I mean that in a good way they all have something unique about them and Jack this, said this didn't he basically yeah so Jack sort of alluded to this the thing he said was they do things that you can't coach you know that's <laughs> and that's why they're Arsenal and that struck me as a very Arsenal response because I think sometimes the academy system as a whole not just Arsenal but across the country you can kind of almost get into a trap of moulding players into a certain kind of fit. And it seems like Arsenal like players who kind of stray outside of that mould. And I guess with Lewis Skelly, you can see it with how well he receives the ball and travels with it under pressure. I'd say that's his biggest kind of USP, if you want to yeah. call it that. You saw it for Wanieri's goal that opened the scoring uh, last week, but... He's also done it consistently throughout the year. 
And also what's quite interesting is, yes, his main, I guess, position is central midfield, but when he's played for the 21s, he's actually played at left back quite a few times too. So it's but quite as interesting. we understand, uh, our left back at Arsenal yeah, is exactly. a nominal position, isn't this, it? Really? So this is the thing, like, I guess you're seeing they're not trying to box players in to no. certain roles, which is quite nice. So yeah, hopefully his development kind of keeps going along the same trajectory. But um, yeah, it'll be exciting to see how how they do in the semi-final, whether they play Manchester City or Oxford United, because we still don't know <laughs> just no. yet. Well, well, um, yes, you, you but, may be listening to this tomorrow. You may well know. <laughs> uh, but James, do you? I mean, this. I mean, what we're talking about here again, what it seems like Art is talking about here, and what Jack Wilshere was talking about is adaptability, which is something that we we've talked about in the first half of this podcast. The way that players swap positions and they can play in in a number of positions. Yeah, and I think Lino Souza is a fascinating case study because it's a situation where Arsenal had an idea of what they wanted an Arsenal fullback or left-back to look like and they didn't necessarily feel that they had that within their existing academy setup so they had to go and get this player from West Brom um, in his mid-teens and bring him in and that was with a view to developing someone who can compete for a first-team place. It's, it's probably some way away still because he's still a very young man but there is that degree of joined-up thinking now between first-team coaching and what the game model is there the technical director, squad planning, looking at this year, but also five years from now, and per leading the academy and saying, well, what can we contribute from our side? So it's really exciting. I mean, you know, the names we've seen in that 18s group, like Souza, like uh, Koja Dubry, for example, we've seen on the bench here and there in the Premier League, Ethan Ranieri, there's been a lot of talk about as well, who appeared at Brentford. What I actually wanted to ask Art was, do you have any strong feelings about this? Kind of a generation above that. I suppose they're sort of the guys who are out on loan. Or Charlie been... Patino and Flo Balogun. Exactly. Balogun would be one, Patino. But then even guys like Saladin Uladam Hand, who's back with the club now, but has been out on loan, or Omar Akik. Do you think, because obviously these under-18s are huge talents, but in terms of breaking through, they might be a few years away. Do you think there are any in that in-between group? Mika Beerith would be another name you might throw into the mix who who could have a hope of competing for Arsenal in the next year or two? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm quite, I guess, wary to go full in on, I guess, this this 18s group is because, say, if you look at Lewis Skelly, he's still only 16. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> It's just yeah. quite insane to even think of him in the I guess, picture of the first team because it is such like a different world. In terms of the guys just, I guess, above that age bracket, a few of them have, have had quite difficult loans this year that haven't really gone the way they would have wanted. Like if you look at Rekic and um, Salo Ladin Hand, both kind of, I guess, had injuries at the wrong times. So that's why Salah was recalled in, in January. Now he's getting minutes for the 21s. Uh, Rekic was recalled and then sent back on loan to Wigan, which is probably not <laughs> the most stable of places right now. Um, and then also I think Bierf has had a few injury issues throughout the year as well. So it's really, I guess, been a case of seeing the first loan isn't always the best loan for players um, because there are so many uncontrollables that come with that. And that's why Arsenal have had tried to kind of find clubs, say like in the Football League, 
like Blackpool with Charlie Patino, who have taken Dan Ballard and Tyrese John Jaws beforehand, who they kind of have not an official relationship with, but an understanding of how those clubs run and how their players would fit there. And, and how they play, is it how they play the game as well? A, a little bit. So um, obviously when Patino was sent to Blackpool, the manager was Michael Apperton, but he's no longer there um, because they were fighting relegation. So now Patino's with Mick McCarthy, who actually really likes him, but plays a bit different style, which could actually be helpful because it it shows a different side to Patino's game. Um, obviously everyone knows what he can do, I guess, with the ball at his feet. But in the game I watched him play away at Southampton, there was a lot more being asked of him off the ball. So in terms of making runs from deep into the box, that's how he scored his goal that day. And also just being around, kind of like Xhaka is in in Arsenal's midfield. So, um, yeah, it's quite interesting to see them develop. I wouldn't want to like make any sweeping statements about any of them. But, um, yeah, it's, I guess, it's quite difficult to get these things right. So it, that's where, I guess, judging how they've done becomes a bit more difficult too because you don't want to just kind of make a statement on something that could have actually been beneficial that but didn't look outstanding. I mean, this whole thing about having to do different jobs, James. I mean, I remember Johan Cruyff used to uh, get the Dutch team to play in different positions, you know, years and years ago. Um, this stuff, ultimately, it, it can be helpful in terms of appreciating. If you're playing right midfield and you get to play right fullback for uh, for six months, you maybe get to appreciate the difficulties that they have and the help that you might require. I mean, this... These things generally, assuming that you don't have injuries and you can uh, you get a full run of the team, these things can be positive for you, for your development. Yeah, I think, particularly with the loans, I think Arsenal are making more and more use of the loan market now. Obviously, they've got Ben Napper there, who's the loans manager, and he's working closely with the academy to try and identify, as Art says, the right places for these kids to go. And I think a lot of the time, we don't always see the benefit in the moment. I think a great case study of that is is Balogun because he went on loan to Middlesbrough last year and you know I think it's fair to say didn't set the world alight no one was talking about him in the terms they are now but I think for his individual development as a person as well as as a player yeah going and being in that different environment playing first team football playing against guys who've played 300 league games in their 30s the value of that is now being seen even if at the time you could question it and say, has this been a successful loan? Development isn't always linear and there are going to be ups and downs along the way. And I think in that group who are out on loan at the moment, the likes of Omar Rakik or, or Salah or um, you know, Brooke Norton Cuffey, there will be highs and lows inevitably because there's always that risk element of a loan move. But I don't think it's cause to write them off. I think you know it's just part of the journey and in a year or two's time we might be talking about them in very different terms well look at Eddie Nketiah this year and how he's and he had a number of difficult loan spells didn't he really and it uh, seems to have come together and also by the way in terms of playing in different positions Bukayo Saka's played in about five or six different positions <laughs> I mean I genuinely think he could play in goal he'd probably be good enough there but uh, um, he's absolutely fantastic uh, now and uh, things seem to have paid off yeah let's uh, well obviously uh, you'll keep an eye on that 
for us uh, uh, <laughs> who's coming through because uh, it's because it, uh, it, one more question by the way I mean I asked Amy this and I'll ask you guys before we stop um, is there a different feeling with a player who's come through the ranks to someone we bought in I mean I mean Amy basically dismissed that last week said that she loves Martin Odegaard and she loves you know players who, who we bought in just as much but maybe Bukayo Saka's a special case Art oh, but do you think there's something about players who've come through youth who, who who know the club as well as they do, who have a special connection with the fans? Personally, I think there is a little bit. Like, yesterday, when Smith Rowe had his chance, like, I just had a feeling. <laughs> like, um, that, yes, you obviously love when every player does well, but um, I think when it's someone who like you've watched again what we spoke about at the top of the show yeah um someone who you've watched grow up you can't help but feel at least something of a connection and you will get that with players who aren't from the academy like how i was talking about trossard earlier you get these players who are just your kind of guys but i I do feel like there is i guess an extra kind of feeling with those guys who do come from the academy and actually make it and and do well, prove that they're worth their place in the team. So, yeah, and I, I don't think it's a disrespect or anything to other players, but it's just something that is there, I think. James, I remember going to the League Cup game, was it last season against Sunderland when Charlie Patino scored? And the vibe around the place when he, when he came on and when he scored, I mean, you rarely hear that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think what's... What's special about it for me is that they're they're Arsenal boys, and you know they might arrive at eight years old as a Chelsea fan or a West Ham fan or whatever it is, but they grow up in an Arsenal culture, and it means a lot to them. They've some of these guys have lived their whole lives basically thinking about pulling on an Arsenal shirt for the first team one day, and then they get to go out and do that. I think that's a very special thing, but I do think as well that it's that connection that really defines a relationship with a player and it's not it's not the preserve solely of academy players I mean Mikel Arteta himself is a great example of someone who came in later in his career but developed this very authentic affinity with Arsenal in quite in a relatively short space of time and I think that can happen with anybody you know you look at the connection like Amy says of a Martin Odegaard or an Aaron Ramsdale with the Arsenal fans I saw Odegaard after the pitch uh, after the match last night, yeah. doing the full lap of the pitch, you know, great, as club captain, and you think that's a special moment. So I think that affinity can come from anywhere, but when it's present and it is sort of automatically imbued in those academy players, yeah, it's a, it's a special thing. Let's have a, a song to end. James, what have you got for us? Listen, it's uh, not particularly uh, inventive, but I had to be Starman Bowie after hearing that Saka chant uh, last night. Can't look past it. Yeah, I've gone Bowie too, but uh, I've gone All the Young Dudes, by the way, uh, which is not a song that he recorded, but it is a song he wrote and then gave to Mott the Hoople, and it was a massive hit. I, I was thinking about Heroes, but let's save that one for later on. Uh, <laughs> what have you got, uh, Art? 
I, I had a few names like going through my head last night. People who have seen me on Twitter will know that I've been posting a lot of Ice Spice videos. <laughs> um, I, I also had some Playboy Carti in my ears as I was coming back home. The vibe was just very bouncy, I guess. But uh, what I'm going to go for is, and I hope Adrian is listening. I'm going to go for some Katy Perry, hot and cold. Because um, his at on Twitter is Rafsonal. Raf, basically. Yeah. Um, he, he makes Arsenal edits. And he made one the other day that was very good with Katy Perry's hot and cold as the song. So that's the reason for my uh, choice this week. Nice. Um, by the way, I should mention, I know some of you would have listened to it already, Amy Lawrence did a, uh, a special extra podcast, Sound of Arsenal pod, uh, using binaural sound, um, which basically means it's immersive. You're there. And she was with the Ashburton Army. It's almost like you're inside the drum. <laughs> 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 it's actually not. It's it's great. It's a great listen. And she was with and she talked to them about what it meant. And she's written a great piece on the website as well. Uh, so have a read of that and have a listen to that as well. Uh, thank you to James and thanks to Art and thanks to Abby, our producer. And um, enjoy Saturday against Bournemouth. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.